0: you know, then I was just like, okay, how do I do this? And I was starting to study up on investing, like doing real investing. And when I started to study up on that, the big principle that I focused on was one that all these guys taught. They said, Chris, dollars follow value, like dollars follow the value you create for other people. It's the core economic principle in investing. It's the core economic principle in business, like everything. If you want more money, stop asking how to make more money. Instead, ask, how can I create more value for more people?
1: This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Chris Miles, Chris is the founder of Money Ripples and is a host of the Chris Miles Money Show. He's an authority on how to quickly generate wealth by increasing monthly cash flow and creating passive income. In this episode, Chris will tell us why it's a bad idea to invest in traditional assets and why you need to stay liquid during these challenging times. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, Check out Conventus Lending. Conventist is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website everythingrei.com. Enjoy! All right, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do.
0: Yeah, so Chris Miles, I'm a cash flow expert and anti-financial advisor. And so uh, when I started out being the traditional financial advisor, did that for four years up until 2006, realized that nobody became financially free. So I went and turned around and went into like real estate investing and doing other types of stuff that actually work and was able to retire twice now since 2006. And so so that's why I tell people, teach people to do now is like, you know, hey, let's figure out how you can actually get from point A to point B way faster than saving for 30 or 40 years. Like how can we retire in the next 10, for example, right? And so I do consulting, I have my own podcast show, the Chris Miles Money Show, and help people with infinite banking structures and things like that, and all kinds of fun stuff.
1: That's exciting. Do you wanna tell us your story of how you are able to retire twice by 39?
0: Yeah, so like I said, I was a financial advisor for about four years. I started doing that like around Y2K, so nine eleven, you know, that kind of stuff great time to become a financial advisor. Anyways, I did that for a while. And then, like I said, I realized nobody was retiring. Right. And it's kind of like when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And there's some guys that were doing some real estate, some friends of mine. um, I thought for sure they were gambling. Like there's no way you can make money with real estate. Like I've seen the numbers. They only go up like 3% a year, you know, thinking just about the price of real estate. Right. Not about the cash flow. And then what I started to understand and realize as I got to know some of these guys, a lot of them were self-made millionaires, you know, in their twenties and thirties. I started realizing like, wait a minute, they teach and believe the exact opposite of what I've been teaching as a financial advisor, right? Like they're not about being in it for the long haul. Like they're like, that's stupid. Like long haul just means because the market goes down, you have to wait another 10, 15 years for it to come back up, you know, or high risk creates high returns. They're like, that doesn't make logical sense. Because when does a 90% chance of losing or a 90% chance of risk of loss, right? When does that become a 90% chance of winning? Like if you have a 90% chance of losing, you got a 10% chance of winning, not the other way around. Right. So they're like, yeah, that's stuff that you guys teach is dumb. Dollar cost averaging that doesn't work. And, but which was funny. Cause by the way, there's people are talking about that all in there right now with COVID. They're like, Oh, now the market's down. It's on sale. It's Like, no, it's not like, it's still expensive, you know? And so all this kind of stuff and, so when I started to realize that these guys like actually were doing, it, I was looking at their results because guys that were investing in real estate, even before 2007 and eight, right before the recession, I mean, they were making buku bucks with it, you know, but if I looked on the other side of financial advisors, I mean, who's supposed to have it figured out? I mean, if anybody should have it figured out, it should be financial advisors, right? But none of the guys I knew in financial advising were financially free. None of them. I mean, they were making money off the commissions and maybe they had renewals and residual income from that, but none of them could retire off the investments they have been recommending to everybody else. And that was a big eye opener to me. I was like, wait a minute, if it hasn't worked for financial advisors, including those that have been working in it for 40 plus years, why would it work for general population of America? Right. And so the first time I was able to retire was 2007 or no, sorry, 2006. So when I realized it was all about income, like creating passive or residual income, You know, then I was just like, okay, how do I do this? And I was starting to study up on investing, like doing real investing, not, you know, throwing your money in crappy mutual funds and 401ks. And when I started to study up on that, the big principle that I focused on was one that all these guys taught. They said, Chris, dollars follow value. Like dollars follow the value you create for other people. It's the core economic principle in investing. It's a core economic principle in business. Like everything. If you want more money, stop asking how to make more money. Instead, ask, how can I create more value for more people? And so I started obsessing over that question. And the first time it was really unintentional, right? Because I remember at the time I quit being a financial advisor March of 06. I was like, I'll never do that again. I'll never teach about money. I'm done. I will just do mortgages as a broker and I'll teach ballroom dancing, right? So little known fact, I was one of the nation's top amateur ballroom dancers in the early 2000s, you know? So if you ever watched Dancing with the Stars, those professionals were like my teammates and stuff, people that I used to dance with. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do mortgages and that's it. Well, one of those guys that was a millionaire, he said, Chris, do you like doing mortgages? And I said, well, not really. Like, I mean, I love teaching about it, but I hate doing all the paperwork and all the follow-up stuff, especially where... You know, people are like asking me every day, hey, is the loan going to close? Like it drove me nuts that people would, I'd say, hey, it's going to take about three weeks. And then the next day they're like, is it going to close yet? Like, no, like stop it. You know, so I said, no, I don't like that part. And so he said something that was profound. He said, well, why not find somebody who can? Now, up to that point, I was always like, hey, if I can make money, like I'll do it all myself as the do-it-yourselfer, right? But when I realized like, wait a minute, if I can find somebody who's nerdy, that maybe wouldn't mind just doing the paperwork part of it. We can't. We have a good partnership. And so I found that guy within the company that I was working with. Uh, and I said, hey, will you split it 50-50 with me? If I just pass people on you, they're ready to do the mortgage. You don't have to sell or anything. You just need to do the paperwork. He's like, yeah, of course I'll do that for 50%. So I would work with somebody for like half an hour to an hour maybe, tell them about you know different mortgages they could do, cashing out, to be able to invest and do cool stuff with it. And then a month, month and a half later, I'm making like a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks. And I thought, that's awesome. Like if I can make a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks from a half an hour to an hour's worth of work, what else could I do? Right. And I wasn't marketing or anything like that, but I started finding other companies, people I was already sending referrals to, and and I just used that same concept. Like, hey, if I sent you a referral, do you have a referral program? And now that people would call that affiliate marketing, right? Even though I wasn't like sending out email blasts or nothing cheesy like that, I was just purely just you know, saying people would come to me saying, hey, Chris, do you know somebody who does blank? And I was like, yeah, I do. Great. You know, if it was often, I would just say, Hey, do you have something? So I even had a wholesale jeweler that was paying me 5%, you know, when somebody bought their engagement or wedding ring, you know, and it was great because the people that bought it, I you mean, know, they buy it for like a third of the price, you know, of like the malls and things like that. And, but at the same time, you know, I'm also making the cash to the business owner and they're rewarding me too. So It became this very natural process, and before I knew it, I was making about four to five thousand dollars a month, working like three or four hours a week. So before Tim Ferriss wrote the four hour work week, which he's a cool guy by the way, I've wrote a book with him too. But before he wrote that book, you know, like I was actually doing the three or four hour work week, you know, and making four or five grand a month, and I was only twenty eight at the time. I was like, "Crap, that that was weird. Like that was almost too easy, you know." And then I started bringing in the investments and other income too, right? But That was the first time I was able to do it. Now, here's the lesson that led to the second time, right? Because why would I have to retire twice? Well, recession hits, right? Or right before it hits, I come out of retirement in 2007 to teach people how to get out of the rat race. So I thought, well, okay, let's do this. Well, one of the partners I worked with said, Chris, you shouldn't have any other streams of income. Do all of it in this, right? Like focus. I need you all focused here. No more other streams of income happening. So I did. I got focused. I cut off my income streams. So that was mistake number one. Mistake number two is uh, when I was doing my real estate investing, I was focusing on growth, not cash flow. Right. So I was just trying to make lots of money, you know? Yeah. So I mean, I had a real estate, but it wasn't really cash flowing positive. I was just trying to make money. I was just trying to do it transactionally, not passively. Right. So between that and everything else. And here's another mistake I made for you, Dave Ramsey fans, this is a big issue. I threw money into my house thinking I could just pull it out whenever I needed it. Right. I could just get a line of credit. So I started dumping extra equity in my home. Well, when crap started hitting the fan in 2007, one our business was focused towards real estate investors that all said the money was locked up and by summer of 2007 they couldn't get money out. So we weren't getting paid. I was trying to get money out of my own properties, I couldn't either because they all of a sudden said by September of 07 they said, "Sorry, we don't give loans to business owners anymore." Right? And I'm like, "What? Like I've got like couple hundred thousand just sitting in this one property. Like, come on. No, sorry. We can't give it to you. And so, and I wasn't tracking my money either. So I was, because money was coming in so readily, why track money? Right? So I wasn't tracking money. My cash reserves eventually got eaten alive because I couldn't get access to cash. I was negative cash flow. Um, In fact, I was in the hole about 15, 16,000 a month between my business and my personal life. Right. And then I didn't have all those multiple streams of income either. So everything hit the fan. I went from millionaire to upside down millionaire in just about a year or so, you know, especially with the property values and stuff changing. And that was a big wake up call because now I had no money and no credit. I had to figure out a way to dig out of it. And so that's where I stopped teaching people to get out of the rat race. I started teaching people to become more resourceful, like how to find money because that's what I had to do. Right. So I would only teach what I'm actually doing myself. So I started doing that. Started teaching people. I was getting resourceful myself, teaching them how to be resourceful. And and gradually over the years, from like especially 2009, 10, like things got better and better, right? I was able to by 2016 able to get out of the rat race once again, but this time I did it differently. I made sure I one, I had cash reserves. Two, I was tracking my money, being a responsible steward of my money, and then three, I had multiple streams of income. I mean, even right now, I've got about 16 different streams of income coming in. You know, some are business residual streams and others are passive income streams for my investments, right? And two of those 16 are active streams of income that I do in my business on a day-to-day basis. And I'll tell you now with everything going on in the world with the virus and everything else, like this is like the first time I felt completely at peace to say, this is good. Like this is a great time. This is my time to actually win, right? Because I got the reserves, I got the money, I'm protected. I'm not losing sleep at night. Like I'm good. And that's really what I've prepared for the last 10 years for is I'm never going to go back to what happened to me in that last recession.
1: That's awesome. It sounds like you are now very well prepared with potential to do something during this recession. That's awesome.
0: Exactly. plans. Catch wins.
1: Yeah, I really love your story because it reminds me a lot of my personal story. Of course, I'm like maybe a decade or so behind you. But in 2017, I came out with a huge win, like between my personal job and from flipping a house. I think I made over like half a million dollars that one year and I thought this is easy money. You know, I was thinking this is easy. Like how come no one else is doing this? Everyone should be focusing on real estate. And like you said, growth. So like flipping houses or more short term transactional deals. Yeah. But then of course things change, right? That's right. Markets slide. And then you realize that you have these giant liabilities that you're paying multiple tens of thousands every single month with no incoming cash flow, And then that quickly eats up all of your cash reserves and quickly go from millionaire to upside down millionaire. What do you do after that? Yeah, it's funny because, like I said, in 2017, I was so excited about my flips. I thought that my buy and hold rentals, my cash flow properties weren't that exciting. So mm-hmm. I stopped buying cash flowing properties. Yeah. Now, during this recession time, my cash flowing properties are saving me <laughs> because they're the ones generating income for me.
0: You know, it's why is that you've ran into that already because just in the last few years, like I've been part of a a mastermind group, a high level real estate mastermind group, right? And some of those guys have like 100, 700 doors or whatever, you know, like they've got tons and tons of properties, but like you said, they're very transactional. So like if they're flipping properties or if they're doing wholesaling or whatever they're doing but the problem is that just in the last year, a lot of them started to see the writing on the wall, the ones that have been around for a while. The other ones are just trying to play catch up. They're trying to catch their breath. They're freaking out. But there was other ones that said, I see what's going to happen in this market. I need to start changing my model to turnkey. So all in the last year, they started going to turnkey, which is not as sexy, right? Like it's so sexy to say, man, I made a half million off these flips. Like that's a, those are the stories that people want, right? It's not very sexy to say, Hey, I made an extra 200 bucks off my door this month. Like (laughs) no one gets excited about that. But for those of us that have been through that kind of stuff and now see what really works and creates lifestyle versus just a lot of money, like making a very busy business for you or a high paying job, you know, that's the kind of stuff that to us is very, very sexy, right? It's very exciting to say, Hey, all right, I got a single family home here. It's cash flowing $315 a month. I'll take it. You know, like it's just one of those at a time, you know, and, and sure you could take out some multifamily and do stuff to get more leverage too, which helps, but it really does. Like it's all about what kind of income does this actually generate where you're not having to be the one to keep, you know, hunting, right? It's, it's so nice to know that the, you know, if you're thinking about it from a hunting philosophy, right, it's nice to know that the animals come to you and they're just like laying themselves on your plate <laughs> versus uh, having to go out and find them and hunt them all the time. It's, there's a different level of stress there
1: yeah and when you're flipping or doing just like transactional deals you're only as good as your last deal yeah which sucks because if you don't have anything out after that you're you're done and when the market tightens like it is now suddenly all the liquidity is gone you can't get loans for your properties even though you have a lot of equity in them you're just stuck yeah
0: it's true and you can have both i mean because if if that's the income generator like the engine that's giving you money great just don't blow it all like Use the money to go start creating some passive investments too, you know, not just actively reinvesting everything, you know? Exactly. Like start siphoning some of that off to create passive income.
1: So what do you recommend for people who are in a situation now when we are in this very uh, uncertain time, whether you are, you know, someone with a lot of net worth or whether you're someone who's just starting out with like a high income, like like a tech job?
0: Yeah. The advice I've been given for the last month has been get lean, get liquid and get out. Right? And it kind of goes back to the lessons I learned from last recession. You know, I'm getting lean, meaning like, make sure you're already tracking your money. And if you're like a lot of my clients, you might already be doing that to some level, which is great. I mean, track the income coming in and the expenses going out, not just expenses, because those that are like really good savers, you know, like those guys, like they're awesome, but they keep forgetting about the income part of the equation, which is limitless. Expenses can only be cut back so far. There's a limit to it, but income is limitless. So look at both, track money coming in, money going out, know exactly where your numbers are. Like that's first step. And part of that too, is figuring out like, how can I minimize those costs? You know, don't live on rice and beans. I'm not saying just live cheap, right? Like don't make your life, you know, be horrible, you know, like a nightmare where you're just living in a cardboard box. But still I would say like, you know, be very intentional with how you spend your money. So that's get lean. Get liquid. Uh, that one's like, depending on when you hear this, this already might be too late because it's already happening. And I've been warning about this for the last month or two, but you know, I've been telling people, if you've got equity in your home, cash it out. If you've got a line of credit open right now, get it out. And that might seem really scary, especially if you've been trained that debt is always evil. You should never use debt. But I'll tell you, if I could have gone back in time to the last recession, right? and said, hey, I'm going to not put the extra money in my house. I'm going to pull that money out and just leave it sitting there in savings. Some people would think that's ridiculous. They think it's crazy. And I ran numbers for a guy yesterday. He he didn't have the cheapest home equity line of credit, even though the rates have come crashing down, which has been awesome, right? But for him, like if you want to pull out 110000 of that's left on his HELOC, it would cost him about $515 a month. Now, someone might say, well, that's $515 a month. I'm like, yeah, it is. But how long can $515 a month pay? You know, how long can 110,000 pay that $515 a month payment? And most people say, I don't know, forever. I'm like, exactly. Like, that's the point. You know, the problem is a lot of us think we could put money in or pay off a HELOC or some people use a sweep strategy where they're trying to use, run up the HELOC, pay it down with their investments and then run it up again. Do not pay down your HELOC at all. If you've been doing that strategy, run it up to the top because what happened last recession, and it's already starting to happen today. As the time we're recording this, HELOCs right now, banks are cutting down the limits. It happened in the last recession. I remember I had a client had an eighty-four thousand dollars line of credit. She only had a balance of forty-one thousand, but before she could use it to go and invest in something that she was about to invest in, they cut back her line of credit with no warning and just cut it down to forty-two thousand. So she only had she went from having forty-five thousand a room to just one thousand which also hurt her credit score because it made it look like she maxed out her credit. So the best thing you do is max it out because they can't cut your limit back below where your balance is. They're going to have to keep it up there. They're going to cut back everybody else, but they won't touch yours. Do that. Get the cash in your hands and have it liquid and available because liquidity is essential right now, especially if you lose income or anything else. You need cash reserves. And that leads to the second point is get out, right? Get out means if you've got money, and again, disclaimer, we're not giving any investment advice on this show, right? But if you've got things like IRAs or 401ks, you know, it might be a good time or mutual funds. It might be a good time to get out of the stock market right now. Uh, I'll tell you with the recovery that it had over the last month, this is temporary. Like I guarantee the market will tank way lower than it is now. So when people keep saying, Oh, I'm going to buy it when it's cheap, like dollar cost average, That's the worst strategy to do right now because it's still high. It's still overvalued even before coronavirus. This is still a higher, even if there was no virus, the market is still too high to support where it's at right now. It's gonna come crashing back down, but it's just all the emotions are getting jumbled in. So it's all over the place, right? Now is not the time to be putting money in the stock market. It's not the time to be putting money in your 401k. That's a horrible place to put money anyways if you want financial freedom because that has been proven Um, And that's why I left the industry. I left being a financial advisor because it's been proven that mutual funds and 401ks do not work. You can never, ever retire off of those vehicles because you can only live on 3% of whatever you accumulate. So even if you save up a million bucks in a 401k, you live on 30,000 a year. That's all you should be taking out because of inflation and everything else. That's what an advisor would tell you, a good advisor, right? That's stupid to be a millionaire and live on 30,000 a year. That's poverty level. (laughs) You know, a million bucks, even on a decent, a halfway decent passive investment could easily make you at least a hundred grand a year, you know? So don't have your money in the stock market, especially where it's going to tank, you know, the recessions and depressions, whichever we run into that never once has a market dropped in one month and then it was done. A recession lasts for years, right? And the effects of the market go for a couple of years. We're probably going to need to see the next two or three years go much lower than it hit as a low, even just last month. So that's my Council is don't think that putting more money in the market's a good thing. And now might be the time to get the money out, especially if you've been affected by the virus. Right now the law's been passed. You can access up to 100000 dollars from your IRAs or your 401ks with no 10% penalty if you're not 59 and a half yet. So you can actually get access to hundred thousand bucks, take the money out. You'll pay taxes just like you would normally in retirement. You'll still pay your normal taxes, but Given the historical rates, we're actually at a lower tax rate right now than we'll, we'll probably will ever will be. So especially if they keep printing money like they've been doing, right? So this could be, I'm, again, not making a recommendation, but this could be the perfect time if you've been looking to do alternative investments like doing real estate, for example, this could be the perfect time to get money out of the market and into something that actually works.
1: That's pretty cool. I didn't know that you could take out $100,000 from your IRA and not have to pay your 10% penalty. Is that like a permanent takeout or is it like a loan?
0: Yeah, just this year. Oh yeah, is it permanent or is it a loan? It could be either. So before it used to be, you can only access of your 401k up to 50% or 50,000, whichever is lesser, right? But they moved that restriction up. They actually said, you know, you can access up to a hundred grand if you need to. If you do it as a loan, which you could do, I don't recommend that necessarily because the terms aren't great on those, on those loans. You could take it out as a loan. You just have to pay it back over the next few years. Right. right. Um, and if you do that, there's no tax at all. You'll, have, you'll pay no tax. If you pull it out and you just leave it out, just cash it out, right, then you'll pay taxes, but they'll allow you to pay taxes over the next three years. So you can split it up. So even though you'll avoid the 10% penalty, you'll still have taxes, but you can split it up a little bit over those next three years. So it's, yeah, it's actually a great opportunity right now. Like, I, I think because the market has recovered a little bit, this, is a, this could be the best time you've got between now and maybe the next five to 10 years to get the gains out and get that money working for you.
1: Yeah. And it's really important to have liquidity, especially during these times, because when the recession hits, like back in 2009, I think one of my dad's friends had like a HELOC and he was able to pull out $400,000 to buy a foreclosed property in Sunnyvale. And now that $400,000 property is worth over $2 million. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And you wouldn't have those opportunities unless he was liquid during those times.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt that if we could go back in time to 2009, right, 2010, like we would want to be gobbling up properties right now, knowing what we know in hindsight, you know, um, same thing, with the Great Depression. I mean, even we go into a de- depression and people are scared of that right now. I mean, there's even, you know, Goldman Sachs analysts saying, no, we're heading to depression. Even if the virus stopped today, a depression is already inevitable, right? The last Great Depression we had from the 1930s, it's interesting because people think everybody suffered. But that wasn't the case at all. I mean, there was a, a good portion. I mean, there was about 20% unemployment, right? That was bad at the low, at the worst point. That was like 1933, I believe it was. 20% unemployment. But about a third of the people total, like, suffered, right? There's another third that just tightened their belt. They got lean, basically, right? They got lean, but they were okay. They still had jobs. They were still of the work. They just, you know, had to be wise with their money. There's the other third that got rich, They created wealth, right? You know, for example, John F. Kennedy's dad, he was actually a bootlegger in the 1920s. You know, with the whole prohibition, he was selling alcohol. But when the depression hit, they got rid of the prohibition of alcohol. So his next move was buying commercial property in Manhattan and in New York. So he was buying up properties like crazy. He went from in 1929, he was worth $4 million. By 1937, he was worth over $100 million. Wow. I mean, so even if we have a depression and again, we don't want people to suffer, right? Like that's not the point of this. We're not, we don't want to say, Hey, good, good that your life sucks. And mine doesn't like, that's not what we're saying. I'm just saying that right now is a great opportunity. I mean, there's plenty of deals ahead. It's not like you have to jump on anything right now. There's a lot of things, a lot of types of deals that I wouldn't pull the trigger on at all right now. I would wait at least six to 12 months. So there's a little bit of patience needed. There's other deals, other real estate deals that are great today. But I'm just saying that, I mean, there's some great opportunity ahead and I'll tell you, it's not in the stock market Uh, and it's definitely not in the bond market either. I'll tell you, bonds, even before this hit, I remember bond managers saying they had junk bonds in their portfolio, that they were saying these are high risk. If anything happens, we're in trouble. So even bonds are not a safe place to have your money right now.
1: Thanks. You know, I haven't seen prices really go down that much here in the Bay Area. I'm not sure if you've seen prices go down where you're at. Not yet. No, I, it's still pretty normal. I mean, I, I think, and that's the
0: thing. Like I, I just talked to a guy on my own radio show, right? And he was talking about the apartment deals he's been looking at and nobody's even lowered the price on their apartment deals. Nobody's quite caught up to what's going on. So everybody's still expecting high prices. So it's, yeah, I mean, things are still pretty normal. In fact, seller wise, I mean, because there's less sellers out there, there's actually been bidding wars on, on single family homes, especially not so much on the multifamily, but single family homes i've been seeing bidding wars on those even in my area
1: yeah same here we still see multiple offers on single family homes uh it seems like the ones getting hit the most right now are like the commercial office spaces retail spaces because you know no one's going to restaurants or anything like that so they're obviously not making their rent
0: exactly those are the ones i'd say you might have to wait a year before you start finding some really good deals come from those but yeah there's definitely opportunity there too but I'll tell you that the best advice is, I mean, one, go with your gut, right? But two is, you know, when everybody's running away from something, you know, that's probably the time to run towards it. It's kind of, I mean, the Warren Buffett philosophy, right? It's like, you know, when everybody's, you know, going a certain direction, when your cab driver's giving you stock tips, that's the time not to be in the stock market, right? You know, I remember that with Bitcoin two years ago. I remember there's classmates of mine from high school that have no money at all saying, who wants to go in with me to buy Bitcoin? Like they thought they had a buy a full coin, right? They thought it was an actual coin. There was, that. That's how dumb, how much dumb money was going in. And uh, and I saw the same thing with the stock market. Even recently, people were like, oh yeah, this is the time. I'm going to throw more money into my retirement account because it's on sale. I'm like, oh, you're going to be broke, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, I remember the whole Bitcoin like uh, fanaticism. And I remember I was very disciplined not to get into it, but it was very hard, you know, FOMO, right? Because you see your friends who are able to go from like $2,000 for one all up to 4,000 and they're able to pay off all their student debt. And then he got out, right? He's like, Oh, I pay my debt. And then it keeps going up to like 17,000, 19,000 for one. It's crazy. But then of course it crashed and hasn't recovered since then.
0: Exactly. i actually did a podcast the month before it crashed. I was like, guys, like, this is stupid. Like if you're doing this, you're a moron. You now I was trying not to be that mean, but it was kind of like, you guys, this is dumb money going in right now. And then it, it crashed and The funny thing is I actually bought Bitcoin, (laughs) you know, after it crashed, right? Like, so it was down like below 5,000 bucks. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll do a little bit now. And then it went up and I was like, cool, I'll take all my gains out. And I, that was it, you know? And I it's like, great. I took my quick money. That was it. That's my gamble. But it was such a small piece of my portfolio. It wasn't like, I mean, I still love, like my number one love, look at my whole portfolio is real estate, buying actual property, like owning the property. You know, like that's the one thing that, is inevitable. People need property, you know? You know, yeah, I'll do other types of investments too, but that's where the bulk of my money goes because that's something that just never ends. You know, even though markets can do this, people still need a place to live.
1: Right. So let's talk about your real estate portfolio. What are your favorite types of properties to purchase?
0: My favorite types are really like the I guess the unimpressive, (laughs) like the boring markets, right? I I guess like the older I get, the more boring I get. You know, I want boring stuff. So I mean I like single family homes. But obviously that's hard to scale. So I look even like duplexes, fourplexes, things like that. If I do apartments, I'm usually just going into syndication with somebody to do apartment deals, right? But for me, like the favorite still comes down to that home that you can get a family into. You know, I don't manage them. I always get a property manager, right? Because I want to be hands off as much as possible. So I I don't even know their names (laughs) for the most part. But I love the fact that I can offer a nice home for a family. You know, I don't buy the ghetto stuff. I don't buy things in the forty fifty thousand range from Ohio, for example. I usually buy properties that are going to be at least one hundred twenty plus thousand dollars. Usually between one hundred twenty to two hundred thousand max, if it's a single family. You know, just because I want to stay below the median price, but still it's a, a high enough price that I am not going to be getting you know people that are just going to trash it right like i get a different quality we we really want my wife's my goal is really renting to families so that's what we look for at least a three two you know type of house three bedroom two bath that kind of thing
1: and what do you typically rent out for a property of that size Uh,
0: it depends on the area but usually it's at least a thousand to twelve hundred bucks a month right around there
1: yeah so just get a couple of those you know maybe one or two every single year and then suddenly after a decade you'll have a pretty sizable portfolio exactly
0: yeah it's that's the thing. It's really boring in the beginning, like when you first take action on it, right? Because you know, I see some of my clients, when right? I help advise them to get, figure out what game plan they do and where the, they should put their money and what kind of investments to get into. And when they're looking at real estate, I mean, even if they use a few hundred grand from their savings, they're like, all right, a few hundred grand, buy some leveraged properties. They're now cash flowing two grand a month, let's just say, right? And then they're like, now what? I'm like, now you wait, you know, now you let that two grand a month accumulate and we're going to create an income snowball, you know, and just let it grow. And I'm like, yeah, it's going to be boring. It's going to feel like you're watching grass grow. But over time though, like eventually this thing will speed up, especially when you hit the five to seven year mark, when you start repositioning out of them, selling those properties to buy at least double what you have bought from that same, that same money, because the equity's built up from paying down the mortgage and any possible appreciation too. That's when things accelerate. That's when the curve goes like this and then it skyrockets.
1: Exactly. I have an analogy of this lemon tree that I planted in my backyard when I was in high school at the time it was so small and shrimpy i thought man, we're never gonna get lemons out of this thing but then you forget about it and then 15 years goes by and now it's a huge tree with like lemons that continuously produce and it's very similar with my jacksonville properties they're buying hold rentals and at, in the beginning they were very boring giving mm-hmm. off maybe a hundred dollars of cash flow every single month but now yeah. you have a small portfolio and you've increased rents on all of them and now boom you suddenly have a lot more
0: exactly yeah, that whole flywheel concept you hear people talk about, it's all the same. It's really all the same concept. It's like you put in most of the work up front, but over time eventually that just takes off and you have the momentum going with you in your favor and it's way better. And uh, like I said, it's not the sexy stuff. Like it's not like, "Hey, I made 50 grand or 100 grand on a flip." You're right. Like it's not that fun from that standpoint, but it's certain. And and I've realized that the more predictable something is, the better right? And that's really, if you want real true financial freedom, it doesn't come from amount of business income or revenue that's coming in from you doing all these flips or transactional real estate. It's really all about what kind of income's coming in that you're not working your keister off for, right? Like that's the real freedom. That's where lifestyle comes into play. That's when you start to be able to work because you want to, not because you have to, right? And that's, to me, that's always the goal because when you're free, I mean, that's why I call the company money ripples, right? It's creating that ripple effect through your life and through your family's life and through the lives of those around you. And when you're free, when you're financially free, you're not focused all on yourself and you can look outside of you and say, you know, how can I be of service? Like, how can I help more people? You actually really become a powerful force on this planet. And that's kind of what I want to create. I want to create like thousands and thousands of people just like that, like out there saying like, Hey, I'm free. Like I'm not in bondage to the a month-to-month paycheck. Like, I don't need that. I can actually do some real good on this planet. And that's the thing. I think that's a secret. There's no government program that'll bail us out, that'll save us or make us good people. It requires us to f- liberate ourselves, and then we can help do the same for others too.
1: Absolutely. And I think people need to have patience. I have a lot of people who come to my meetup events, and they're like brand new investors. Some of them don't even have full-time jobs, but they see that you can make half a million, a million dollars a year, through wholesaling or flipping. And so they do that full time. And you know, to their point, there are some of my friends who did succeed and they're making a lot of money, but majority of them don't find any luck, especially when it's very competitive here. Mm. And I think the problem is they just have too short of a, like a vision, right? It's a very narrow vision. So they don't think long-term. But if you just think in like a 15, 20-year frame, then you can accomplish almost anything you want.
0: That's right. When that greed bug bites you, it's destructive. Like I can always tell when investors, especially if you go to like the RIA events or whatever it might be, right? Like occasionally I'll speak at some of those and you can always tell the ones that are going to fail because they have dollar signs in their eyeballs. Like they cannot wait to make lots and lots of money. And those are ones that become gamblers, not investors. Because if you understand that a true investor, a true investor doesn't just say like, Oh, here's a hot deal, right? A true investor actually is very methodical. I mean, very analytical. I mean, if you guys are like anybody listening, you're like tech, you know, tech people. I mean, you might already be analytical, and methodical already. That's a huge blessing. You know, that's a bonus. I mean, now, if you overanalyze, then you're you are not making any money either, right? There's got to be the balance. You got to be willing to take action because I've got a lot of my clients, especially if they're tech people in the Bay Area. There's tons of them that like overanalyze and don't take action, don't buy anything, right? So that's the opposite extreme. You don't do anything versus those that want to just jump into whatever. It's right in the middle. Like that's where the true investor lies, which says, all right, I'm open to opportunity, but I don't have to just jump on it right now. I can be patient, like you said, right? I can wait this out or I can wait for the right deal that comes along or one that at least is good enough. You know, like, you know, I say good enough. I don't mean like you sacrifice your rules. You know, and that's one thing. Gamblers don't have rules. They just want, they just see whatever money they can make. They go for it, right? Where you actually want to have real rules in place saying like, all right, how certain am I that I'm going to get my money back? How certain am I that this deal is going to work? You know, you got to have certain rules in place to make sure that happens. And then you just act, you know, and you do it, even if it's not the best deal. Cause you could wait, if you're always waiting, you could always wait for this better deal coming along, but it may never, right. For those that just don't take action. You know, I got one client in California right now where it's been two or three years and he's like, okay, Chris, I gotta buy something. I'm like, yes, you do. Like you've had good deals and you already analyzed it. They were good. just need to buy it but because he was always like he had that perfectionist syndrome right where he's like well but what about maybe this is not as good as i thought or what if something better comes along like that fear of missing out that fomo right he's like oh but if something better comes along then i won't spend my money somewhere else like it doesn't matter just buy if it's a good deal buy it you know there's always gonna be better opportunities there's always opportunities you know just buy something now because time is on your side if you get that working for you it's gonna work in your favor
1: Exactly. You know, I kind of want to go back to what we said earlier about how you retired once you had a very successful career, but then of course the 2008 recession happened and you basically had to start again from scratch and you weren't able to retire again until 2016. Can you go through that journey of what you did from 2008 to 2016 that enabled you to regain your financial standing and be able to retire a second time?
0: Yeah, it was a lot of struggle and bumping my knee metaphorically speaking, right. And just fumbling around the hardest part of that battle wasn't actually the strategy of what I did, because what I did, I essentially just had to create money, right. I had to create active income. And I did that through a few different means. Like I did that any way possible. I mean, so on the coaching side, like I was coaching people how to find money and resources, which I'd already started to do part of the way I was able to get out of it is I just cut back everything possible, right? Like I started selling off all assets I had, even if they're upside down, I end up foreclosing on my own house, you know, so I had to let that go. And that was hard because the guy came knocking on the door just the week before my fourth child was born. And so I had to pay him 2000 bucks for rent for two weeks. sake. just let us stay here for two weeks. So we could have the baby and then we can move out. And I was moving out while my wife had postpartum, you know, like it was horrible. Like it was just a horrible time, you know, but it was perfect too, because I had to like cut back on all the expenses I could just get as simple as possible, I cut back my business expenses to what was necessary. Right. And as I got caught all that back, ironically, once I got it to that point, that's when I made more than enough income from that point on in my business that could have actually paid for that house that I had just lost five months prior, you know? So a lot of it was one cutting back on the expenses, like letting go of any attachment to stuff. Right. Because I knew that even when I turned in my Mercedes, I'm like, you know what? It's a car. It's a piece of metal. I can drive a crappy little Hyundai that's worth 3000 bucks, right? I can drive a Hyundai, you know, I can always buy stuff, but if I lose everything in my life, that's just not worth it. Like, but the stuff I can get rid of. So when I became unattached to stuff, let go of my ego, like what other people thought of me. I mean, you can imagine it was a little bit harder of a skill for me because I was supposed to be the guy that had it all figured out. I was the guy telling people how to get out of the rat race prior to this. And then I was back in the rat race in the thick of it. Right? So to be in that place, there's a lot of head games going on of my own ego. Like, well, I don't want people to know that I'm suffering and all that kind of stuff. Right. And people didn't really know I did suffer that much. I mean, it wasn't like I was rolling in the money. Some people obviously closer could see, Hey, he's not in his house anymore. He now shrunk to a house, a quarter of the size. He went from a, you know, 5,000 square foot house to an 1800 square foot house. Right. And you know, that kind of stuff. And so even then, like if I could just get over the head trash, even the collector calls, I had collection calls happening every, multiple times, every single day. At first, I would just avoid them, right? And then I'd feel depressed. But eventually when I turned it around to say, yeah, I kind of actually took this from, even though this is not the best guy as an example, right? But, you know, with everybody, there's always truth. There's always somebody that has good truth. Donald Trump, give you an example, right? I mean, not the role model people love necessarily all the time. But, you know, in his case, like he wrote a book called Never Give Up. And at that time in 2009, it was a huge inspiration to me. Uh, That book and another book by my friend, Greg Reed and Sharon Lecter, a book called Three Feet from Gold. Those two books helped me through that time because, you know, for example, there's a lot of real life stories in Three Feet from Gold where they talked about how it took somebody 10 years to become an overnight success, right? You know, like all the patience and the hardships they had to go through, which I didn't realize, like even like Chick-fil-A and things like the stories like that. Like, oh, these guys actually struggled too, you know? So it gave me hope, right? And then Trump, he'd said like during his worst times when he was $900 million in debt, right? So almost a thousand times worse than my position. In the 90s, he said, you know, I just look for that one positive thing. If there was 20 negatives, I would find the one positive. So I did the same thing, you know, like some days it was such a bad day. All I could say is I'm breathing. All right, at least I can breathe. You know, at least I'm not dead, you know? But those collector calls, I would do the same thing. So instead of thinking, oh man, like I owe so much money, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, how am I going to pay this off? Instead, I would actually start answering the collector calls. I would actually call them I love you calls. When they call up, I knew the numbers obviously, right? Because they were were memorized, burned in my brain from them calling so often. So they would call up. I call my love you calls because the truth is my friends and family weren't calling me anymore because they were like, Oh, he's going through his crap. I'm going to leave him alone. So they're all abandoning me. But those collectors, they were the best friends I had. So I switched it around. I was like, hey, how's it going? Good. You know, we're calling here to collect on a debt. Yeah, I know. Do you know when you're going to pay it? Nope. Are you going to pay us? Eventually. When? No clue. <laughs> you know, we're just going to keep calling you, right? Yeah. Look forward to it. Thanks. You know, click. You know, and. That was kind of how I started addressing them. You know, like, yeah, I'm going to pay you. I have no clue how I'm going to do it. I just know I'm going to have to dig out of this hole from going through the recession, and that's exactly what I did. And so it took time. I mean, as I started to come out of the hole in you know 2011, then 2012, I broke partnership with the company I was with before and created Money Ripples from scratch. You know, and had to start over again. So I I, I don't know if I call it decelerating. It's definitely I was not accelerating my payments as much as because I was now starting a business, right? So I slowed that down. But then I started doing it again and. It was purely just taking all the profits I could, you know, being as profitable as possible in my business, adding as much value, like trying to do whatever I could do to help people, right? Teach the things that I was actually practicing at the time, and that's why by eventually December 2016, I was like, okay, now I've paid off these debts, but now I've also got investments and other streams of income coming in that's actually now taking care of my needs, where I don't have to work, I don't have to actively market or do anything. Like I can purely just let this stuff ride. I mean, that was not overnight, obviously. I mean, that's, if you think about it from the low of 2008 till 2016, that was like eight years. You know, it wasn't overnight. But I'll tell you that, I mean, from 2015 to 2016, the trajectory of that cash flow went like this like it just skyrocketed. You know, it was exponential. Otherwise, it felt slow and monotonous and discouraging at times, you know, but it really was just trying to stay, you know, keep my, Expenses as lean as I could. You know, it meant delaying gratification in some areas. You know, I, I still went on trips. I still took my family to Disneyland from time to time, but I was just very, very careful and cautious of my money. You know, and at the same time, on the other side of the equation, trying to do as much as I can to create value for people, to where money is just a natural byproduct. Because, I mean, if you want to make more money, it's just give people what they want, and you'll get plenty of what you want, right?
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And thank you for sharing that very inspiring story. I think a lot of people get. A lot of value out of it, especially during these times of uncertainty. And I'm just curious, what were those income producing businesses that you were doing, especially during like 2009, 2010 when you were in the thick of it? I mean, I imagine it'd be very hard to do coaching and teaching others how to become more financially free when you yourself are going through a lot of uh, like struggles yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was so at first, like in 2008, I actually had five businesses going at the same time. I had my, you know, consulting business. I had like life insurance. I was teaching about, you know, the infinite banking type stuff. I had a, a, a dinner and dance, like a catered dinner and dance type business where I was teaching ballroom dancing, right? I can't remember the other one. And then I had a network marketing company. There was like five of them. What's interesting though, is I try to create multiple streams of income through those. My income overall dropped. So what I learned is I'm like, okay, I'm spreading myself too thin. Instead of having five narrow down to two. And so I did, I went to, uh, oh yeah, that's right. The fourth one was like a, a seminar type, you know, like educational type company, which is kind of part of the consulting too. So anyways, I narrowed it down to two. I just did the consulting and I was doing like the, the events, you know, and that was mostly it. I was still doing a little the life insurance, but I was really referring that out to somebody else to do that work. And I just honed in on that. And that's when my income jumped back up right now, the consulting part, like I said, I changed the tune. I wasn't telling people how to get out of the rat race like I do today, you know, where I'm helping people create plans to you know, retire fast, right? Instead, because the question at the time in the recession wasn't about retiring, it was actually about how can I find money? Like I'm broke, you know, like there's no access to cash. Nobody will lend money, right? And the thing I was already learning from my own situation was how can I get money, right? So like, you know, with tracking money, how do I do that? Like creative ways I'm paying off debt. You know, I wouldn't pay off debt based on the interest rate. I would actually tell people, ignore the interest rate. So I would pay off debt based on really looking at the ROI, the cash on cash ROI of it, right? So I was looking at, I call it a cash flow index. I would take the balance of the loan, divide it by the minimum monthly payment, and it would give me a number. The lower the number, the more I want to pay it off. So for example, say you had a $5,000 car loan, right? That's $500 a month and a $5,000 credit card at 18%, that's $100 a month. Now, Dave Ramsey, he would tell you pay off the credit card because it's horrible, right? Because but the thing is, you pay off that credit card. If all you had was five thousand bucks, you only free up one hundred bucks a month. If I pay off that car loan, I free up five hundred dollars a month. And so that kind of like realization in my own situation, I was able to teach other people too. I said, "Yeah, here's a simple way to do what I've you know." I didn't tell them this is what I've been doing. I just said, "Here's something I've learned based on my own experience." Here, you know, like here's the equation. And so I'd find a lot of people with a lot of debt, especially from the recession and especially within the chiropractic and dental communities. I got really integrated in the chiropractic and dental space and not to mention like we're doing strategies to help people free up on taxes too, to, to have more money. I remember I had one chiropractic coach that uh, we were able to free up $50,000 a year in taxes. You know, now I wasn't the accountant, but with my accounting team and just teach them some basic strategies, he was able to free up 50,000 a year. He literally cried, like he cried on the phone. Like it was, it was so, you know, shocking to him, right? Shocking, I think partly because he had been paying that the whole time, you know, but then even the other guys, like I had other ones were like, we're able to figure out like with the loans and stuff and to say, Hey, wait, well, now your equity starting to come back in your house. Let's take money out of your house. Let's do this or take the money out of your retirement account. Use this to pay off your debts instead. You know, cause I had one guy he was, he was out in the Midwest and he had 500,000 sitting in IRAs doing nothing, Right because the market wasn't doing anything at the time. But I said, hey, if we take out 100000 of this money, we can go and we can pay off these specific loans, leave the rest alone, refinance your house to a lower rate, freeing up more cash flow, because he was 62 years old. He's thinking, i got to pay off this mortgage before I'm dead. And I'm like, you don't have to pay off the mortgage. We just get life insurance. We can cover that any day if you want to have that paid off when you're dead. And that's way cheaper than trying to pay this loan off. Let's free up the cash flow. And just by that 100000 bucks of paying off loans and refinancing, He was able to free up $4,200 a month. That's 50 grand a year, right? Um, Then we were able to save him on taxes too. So that was like another 20 grand a year. We saved him on that. So even then, like, he's like, crap, like I'm freeing up 70 grand a year. Now, what's amazing is he was burning out in his practice because he was 62 years old. His practice was becoming less and less profitable, thinking he was gonna have to work forever. But when we freed up $70,000 a year, he relaxed. And the crazy thing is when he relaxed, then people actually enjoyed coming into his office, right? Because he wasn't a bitter old man anymore, right? So (laughs) what ended up happening is that within a few months, his revenue in his business, his income went up two or three grand a month. So already he's making like an extra $80,000 plus just from the fact that we freed up cash flow. And that's like a cool thing is that it didn't require us to do anything with investments, right? In fact, he was resistant using 100 grand of his IRA money to even do that strategy with the, the loans. It was his wife that said, this makes sense. Do it. You still have 400 grand to invest, which is true. He could have now invest with that 400 grand to create passive income, right? So that was the thing that was really fun is like, you know, we were able to find money or help people get re- to figure out that there actually was more money in their situation than they realized. And I still do that today, but now the focus is different. Now it's more holistic where, yeah, we might free up some cash flow there, But now it's like, can we take this money and generate cash flow too, right? And so that's where my business took off in like right around 2010, 2011 was because it was like revolutionary for people. Like it was just something that was, that people didn't realize they had accessible is every financial planner is like, just give me your leftover money. I'm like, no, I can find money. That was a a very different philosophy.
1: That's awesome. And is this like a word of mouth marketing that you guys were using or did you use like videos or podcasts back then?
0: Uh, I did have a podcast, but that was just to leverage my time. Because if people ask the same commonly asked questions, I created a podcast in 2008 just to answer their questions. Right. Nice. So I did do that from 2008, 2012, and then stopped that podcast. And then when I realized it could be a really good tool to create a tribe, I started up my own podcast just six years ago in 2014 and created the Chris Miles Money Show. And But no, I mean, that marketing was all word of mouth. It was centers of influence. It was people that were like in the dental and chiropractic communities that were either speakers or coaches. But when we helped some of those key people, they were just raving about us, right?
1: They're like, Oh my goodness, like you're awesome. So that's what happened. That's awesome. All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Do you have any last tips for our listeners before we finish up?
0: Yeah, I would just reiterate like one, you know, get lean, get liquid, get out, right? Remember those three things because time is running out to do a few of those areas, right? And then two is just realize, just like I said, like there's always hope. There's always an answer. There's always not just a plan A, a plan B, C, or D. You know, If you can get the right plan in place for what you're trying to do with your investing, you can roll with the punches. You can deal with viruses. You can deal with whatever. It's just a matter of just figuring out how to make it work. And so uh, I, if anything, I'll just tell you that if a guy like me was over a million dollars in debt, can come out of it and retire for the second time you know, in 2016, I know a lot of you guys are way ahead of where I was at that time. You guys could do the same thing.
1: Exactly. And how can people get in contact with you?
0: Yeah. Best way is either you can go to my website, moneyripples.com. That's M-O-N-E-Y-R-I-P-P-L-E-S.com. Or you can check out my podcast. You can follow me there, the Chris Miles Money Show, right? I've got like almost 400 episodes you can choose from. So there you go.
1: That's exciting. I'll definitely have to take a look at that when we finish up. Yeah. Cool. All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Same here, Sean. Thank you. Here's some key takeaways from his episode. Financial advisors often don't know what they're talking about and aren't even retired yet, so why should we listen to them? Liquidity is also very important, especially during times like these. Liquidity allows you to sustain yourself when things are tight and lets you acquire opportunities if you see them. And most importantly of all, never give up. Chris got down on his luck after retiring the first time and after getting impacted by the 2008 financial crisis, but he managed to persevere and is now doing better than ever. So check out this podcast, The Chris Smiles Money Show, and also check out his website, moneyripples.com to hear more from him. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoy the show leave us a five-star rating it will only take a second and it'll help a lot you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com that's s-e-a-n at everythingrei.com thanks and have a great day